All right, guys. Well, it is great to see you. Why don't we wave to the live streamers? Uh, great to have you guys on board as well. Um, but we are moving right along in our study of Colossians, and today we have an amazing passage to cover. Hopefully you enjoyed singing uh, through those worship songs because uh, we were singing about Jesus and the amazing uh, power and supremacy of Jesus is what we're going to be focusing on, and these songs we sang was all about that. And so hopefully you were able to immerse yourself into that reality. Uh, now, if you notice on the series slide, we have Colossians, um, and the tagline is the supremacy of Jesus. All throughout the book of Colossians, you will see Paul, um, he's putting forth the absolute supremacy of Christ, and we're going to see it big time here today. Uh, these verses we're going to look at today are incredible at showing us how amazing Jesus is, and so I'm looking forward to go over this today with all of you. But let's do what we always do. Let's read this passage out loud. Um, all together, it will be on the screen behind me, and let's read it together. You ready? All right, here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful passage? Um, it's about our Jesus, and I love this passage. It's like Paul is now going to say to the Colossian church, he's like, guys, this Jesus, uh, let me tell you about this Jesus. And then he goes right into this passage, and, and they're amazing, amazing words. I, I love them. Something interesting about these verses is that uh, many scholars, if not most scholars, think that this was a poem back in that day or a hymn, a song that they would sing that declared what they believed about Jesus. And who knows, we don't know, uh, but it, it does kind of have a poem or kind of a hymn sort of feel to it. And who knows, maybe our very own Kirk, while we are in this series of Colossians, maybe Kirk can turn it into a worship song that we can all sing. Would we like that, Kirk, or where are you here? Is that all right? All right. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this passage is so packed full of amazing stuff, we could spend weeks and weeks on it. Uh, so it's going to be tough to fit it all into one sermon, but we're going to try. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it into chunks, uh, digestible chunks that I think we can grasp it better. We're going to look at what Christ is in himself. We're going to look at what Christ is to creation. We're going to look at what Christ is to the church, and then we're going to look at what Christ is to all things. And hopefully by breaking it down into those chunks, we'll, we'll, the entirety will see the supremacy of Christ come, come alive in these verses. So to begin with, let's look at what Jesus Christ is in himself. Okay? It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now that's a bit fascinating because how in the world can something invisible have an image? Well, that's the amazing reality of Jesus. God has always been invisible. He's a spirit, okay? He dwells in inapproachable light. We can't see him, and there's a reason for that. 
But Jesus, taking on human form, allows us to see what God is like. He is the image of God. And there's all sorts of passages throughout Scripture that give us that. It tells us in in Scripture that he's the Word of God, that he's God in the flesh. We see in Hebrews that he is the, the exact representation of his being. Okay, So over and over, verses tell us this. And the point is, Jesus was the perfect representation of God. He's the perfect physical manifestation of God. If you want to look to see what God looks like, who do you look at? Jesus, exactly, because he's the perfect image of him. Now, I was studying this passage this week, and I ran across an article that was talking about that phrase in the image, uh, uh, he's the image of the invisible God, and it mentioned something that I thought was pretty cool, and so I wanted to take the time to just kind of mention it to all of you, but <clears throat> Paul is, is trying to get the Colossae church to see uh, something, I think, special that both Jews and Gentiles needed to pay attention to. That Greek word in the Greek, that word for image, is icon, okay? And image is the correct translation for it, but that word icon was used to describe some interesting things back then, okay? And so I don't think it was by mistake that Paul uses this word, and what he's trying to communicate about Jesus is pretty powerful. If you look at the Old Testament, you will see in a lot of different books, but especially in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is personified. In other words, it's given a personality. It's almost like it's a person that's speaking. And it takes on a feminine gender. She, she's talking like wisdom. She, you know, listen to her. He's, he's speaking to her as if it's a person. And wisdom has been around since the beginning of time. And, and like I said, it takes on a personality. And Jews, often in their thinking and their dreaming and their writings, would use the word icon to describe wisdom. They would say wisdom is the icon of God's goodness. So in other words, what they're saying is wisdom is the image or the manifestation of God's goodness on earth. And so Paul, being a learned Pharisee, knowing what his training and what the Jews were saying, it's as if Paul is saying to the Jews, guys, all your lives you've been thinking and dreaming and writing about this divine wisdom. This wisdom which is as old as God, which made the world, which then imparts you know, itself to men. Wisdom personified. Well, Jewish people, the truth is, in Jesus Christ, this wisdom has taken on flesh. It has come in bodily form, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. That would have been a powerful point to make to the Jews. And they would have taken pause to that and pondered that and meditated on that. Paul wanted them to see that he, Jesus, was indeed the image of God. But then Paul is also talking to Gentiles. And the Greeks of the time, the, the Gentiles were enthralled with reason and intellect. And, and, and they would talk about how this reason of God or the word of God. The Greek word for word was logos. So they talked about the logos of God. And they would talk about how it was the logos of God that created the world, that put sense into the universe, that kept the stars in the courses, and it's it's what made the whole world dependable. It was the logos of God that put a thinking mind into man. And there was this dude by the name of Philo, he was a philosopher at the time, and in one of his writings, he over and over keeps using the word icon in connection with the logos of God. So in other words, he would say this logos, this reason or brilliance that's found in the universe is the icon of God. It's the image of God. And so Paul, slinging right off of that, right here in this verse and addressing that type of thinking, 
almost seems like he's saying, you know, you Greeks, you Gentiles, you've dreamt and thought of and written about this reason, this mind, this, this word, this logos of God, and you say it's the image of God. Well, guess what? In Jesus Christ, that logos has become plain for all to see. Your dreams and philosophies are all come true in him. He's the fulfillment of all of it. And the Gentiles would have taken pause and pondered that. They would have, they would have thought deeply about that. And Paul wanted them to see that Jesus truly was the image of God. Paul knows his audience. Thought that was cool. Now, that is cool and all, but I think there's something even more attached to this statement about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Think about that for a second. Now, third service, let me ask you a question. I want you to answer out loud. Can anybody tell me who else was created in the image of God? Mankind, right? Exactly. Humans were created in the image of God. I mean, check it out. We all know the verses in Genesis. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So do you understand that? Mankind was made that he or she might be nothing less than the icon of God. That's what mankind was supposed to be. We were created to look like God, to image him. But sin entered the world and all that fell apart until Jesus showed up. And Jesus, the last Adam, as he's often referred to, lived a life where he perfectly imaged the invisible God the Father. Jesus did it perfectly. And I think we all get that and we all understand that. But I also want you to see this. Not only did Jesus image the Father, check this out, in doing so, he showed us what a perfect image of man is supposed to be. He showed us how we were initially intended to live out as humans. He imaged the perfect human. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus not only was a perfect manifestation of God, he was a perfect manifestation of man. He was a perfect revelation of God, but also a perfect revelation of what man was supposed to be. And I find that fascinating. You want to know why? Because we always use the phrase, well, I'm only human. And when we use that phrase, what has usually just happened? We've made a mistake. Exactly. We've made a blunder. We've sinned. And I mean, we, we do that all the time. We're like, well, I'm going to sin. I mean, hello, I'm human. And that's what we say. We even have a song about it back in the 80s, remember? I'm only human, born to make mistakes. And we'd sing it over and over. The term human for us basically means you're going to screw up. Well, guys, technically, that's wrong. By making your big blunder and mistake, what you're proving is that you're subhuman. Because to be fully human is to be like Christ. He showed us what humanity is meant to be like. He's not only the perfect image of God, he's the perfect image of humanity. And we've fallen way short of that. But Jesus imaged it perfectly. And so guys, that's why we follow Jesus. That's why we imitate Jesus. That's why we disciple ourselves after him, okay? He knows how to live out perfectly human. Okay, so that's what Jesus is to himself. Let's look at what Jesus is to creation, okay? 
And what I'm going to preach about right now is going to fly in the face of our current culture. This passage on the screen behind me flies in the face of our culture. It's directly opposed to the theory of evolution that is promoted and exalted and held in high esteem by the learning institutions of our day. Okay? The finest and most prestigious universities in our nation today teach as if it were truth, as if it were fact, that something came from nothing. That everything we see and everything we can't see came from absolutely nothing. In fact, they tell us that a huge explosion somehow happened out of nothing, and from out of that explosion came a perfectly ordered universe that we see all around us. That's what the smartest people of our day are teaching in their super smart schools. Now, if you believe that, I do not want to mock you. I, I, I don't blame you. This is what you've been taught, and we're told this is science. You need to believe it. But I feel in doing so, when, we, when we're taught these things, we fail to think. And we must think about what we're being taught. Now, having said that, I don't know about you, but I have never seen an explosion ever create order. You ever notice that? It's never created order. I remember I grew up in Columbia, and uh, part of my chores were to take out the trash. And we had this big pit in the ground, and I, I would go dump the trash. And a lot of times we'd, uh, we had to light it on fire to burn it um, so that it wouldn't you know, accumulate. So I, I used to l love to do that. I loved you know, lighting things on fire. But I really loved it when there was a deodorant can <laughs> in the garbage. Because when I'd light it, me and my friends, we'd hide behind the counter, you know, and I'm like, boom, it would blow up. This explosion would happen. And I remember the best experience I ever had, one of the cans, we're sitting there, we're waiting, we're waiting, all of a sudden it started going, shh, shh, shot up in the air like a rocket. We're like, oh, that was awesome. But most of the time, it was this massive explosion. And when we would go back to the trash and to look at the explosion, never did we walk up on that explosion and go, holy smokes, look, there's a brand new cabinet here. This is awesome. I'm bringing it back to mom. No, never. It was like chaos. It was just trash everywhere. It blew up. Just, just a couple years ago in the little town of Rome, uh, someone's gas line blew up and the whole house blew up. And unfortunately, someone died in, the, in that explosion. But I drove through the little town of Rome and guys... There was nothing ordered about it. There was debris and, and trash all over the town for hundreds and hundreds of yards. It was just utter chaos. So first of all, it makes no sense that a huge explosion came out of nothing. And secondly, if there was an explosion, it makes no sense that it suddenly produced a perfectly ordered universe. And yet that's what we're told. So if, if that's where you stand and what you believe... What I'm going to preach right now, I'm going to warn you, it will speak directly against that, okay? This passage tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, we need to be very careful here that we attach the correct meaning to this phrase, because I don't know about you, but if you read this phrase in English as it's written there, what does it kind of give us the impression? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, it gives us the impression that Jesus was created. He was maybe the first one created, okay? Um, but that is not what this phrase means. In Greek and Hebrew thought, the firstborn of all creation has two important um, things attached to it. First of all, it was a title of honor. And second of all, it was a title given to the Messiah, okay? 
So the firstborn was a title of honor given, meaning that they were the favored one. For instance, in Exodus, God was talking to the Israelites, and he says this. He goes, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, this is simply saying that Israel was God's favorite child, if you will. Israel was favored by God among the nations. So we need to see that it was a title of honor. Now, secondly, it was a title given to the coming Messiah. In Psalms 89, it says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, this is talking about the coming Messiah, which happens to be Jesus, okay? So to give him the title firstborn is a title of honor and recognition. And it's not to be used like in a sense of time, like he's the first one ever born or the first one created. That's not what it means. So when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, it means that he has the highest honor which creation holds. Okay, he has it. It belongs to him. And why? Why does he have this highest honor? Well, look at what it continues to say. For by him all things were created. Why is he the firstborn of all creation? Because he's the creator. He made it all. It wasn't an explosion. It was Jesus. That's the point, you know, I think that even a lot of Christians fail to understand or know. A lot of people think God made the universe, and he did because Jesus is God, but it was Jesus. It was that part of the Trinity. It wasn't the Father. Jesus made it all. For by him all things were created. What things and where? All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, remember, he's talking to a group of Gentiles surrounded by communities and cities and lands that worshiped pagan gods. And Paul is saying, this Jesus you worship, this Jesus that you serve, he made it all. Everything you see and everything you can't see. Whether it's the kings sitting on physical thrones or spiritual entities sitting on spiritual thrones. Jesus made them. He created them. Okay? And not only did he create them, he created them for himself, for his purposes. He made all things, and they were made through him and for him. Now pay attention to this. And he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. In other words, all the laws by which this world is ordered and not in utter chaos is because of him. I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever thought about the order that is in, our, in the universe around us? Look at, look at what happened in creation. There's a reason why there's this order. It's because of Jesus. Look at how Jesus did it. Genesis chapter 1. And God said, which is Jesus, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. So we see that happening in the vegetation world. Let's keep scrolling down. Genesis, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And so, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Now, we read those words and we just kind of, we don't really let them soak in, but the reality of those words is that God made an ordered creation. It is not chaos, it is order. When Jesus created the universe around us, he put amazing order into it. Like for instance, every summer, I attempt to try to grow a garden. Now, the beautiful thing about planting a garden is when I plant tomato seeds, guess what is hopefully gonna come up? Tomatoes! I don't put a bunch of seeds in the ground, you know, tomato seeds in the ground, and then come home and Shauna be like, so Luke, what do you think you're gonna get? I'm like, I don't know, man, it's a toss-up. I'm probably gonna get a bunch of cabbage and some zucchini from these tomato plants. I don't know. Last year was all beets. No. If you plant tomatoes, tomatoes come up. If you plant squash, squash come up. If you plant watermelon, watermelon come up. Jesus made it that way, according to his kind. The same way is true of animals. You know, in Colombia, we had all sorts of animals. We had cows, horses, pigs, chickens, rabbits, dogs, and all of them gave birth to, to, to little ones during our time there. Now, remember, we had a big sow that uh, she gave birth to 10 little piglets. And I got, I got to see the birth. It was the most awesome thing ever. But when I came back into the house, my, my mom didn't say, so, Luki, what did we get? I'm like, well, that was amazing. We got three chickens, two dogs, four horses, and one cow. It was awesome. From this sow. No. That's not the way God created it. There's order. Okay? I mean, think about it. Think of all the laws of the universe. Think about gravity. Can you imagine in here right now if there wasn't gravity? We'd be all floating around. I'd be trying to grab my notes so I wouldn't fall away from it. It'd be crazy. It'd be disordered. But God gave us gravity to bring order. I always think about friction. You ever thought about friction, how useful and how it brings order to our life? I'm able to walk up here because my shoes have friction against the carpet and I'm able to walk. Never think about that before. I mean, I'm able to grab things because of my fingerprints on my hand that gives me friction to be able to lift something or to carry something. Have you ever slipped on ice? That's no friction. <laughs> it brings chaos. I mean, when you see people walking around like this, it's because of no friction. Jesus put friction in this world, and there's just law after law that he put in, and that order is because of Jesus. It's an expression of the mind of Jesus. All of the laws by which the universe hangs together are not only scientific laws, guys, they're divine. They come from Jesus. Our Lord is awesome. He is the creator. Think about it. The Son, Jesus, is the beginning of creation and the end of creation, and he's the power that holds it all together. He's the creator and the sustainer. Amen? That's our Jesus. So that's what Jesus is to creation. Let's keep looking. Let's see what Jesus is to the church. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Well, first of all, it says that he is the head of the body, which is the church. Now, if you've never heard this before, you need to understand that followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, are often called in Scripture, we're called the church, okay? And the church is called his body, okay? In this passage, we see he's the head. We are the body of Christ. We are his eyes and ears. We are his hands and feet, okay? Now, let me ask you something. If we are the body of Christ, then tell me, what should we be doing? Yeah, we should be listening to the head. We should be doing what the head wants us to do. Okay, have you ever heard of, of alien hand syndrome? 
It's some disorder where apparently it's mostly the left hand will just do whatever it wants to do. It doesn't listen to the head. So like your right hand might go to, uh, you know, button the, the, the shirt up, and then the left hand will get on and be like, no, we're going to button that right up. And you're like, what are you doing? And, and your head isn't making that decision. The hand is just doing it. And, and your hand, like if you put some up on the counter, the other hand will knock it down. And you're like, what in the world? Why is this hand acting out inappropriate? It's called alien hand syndrome. I, I've never met anybody with it, but sounds like almost demonic. It's kind of crazy. But as crazy as that sounds, it's a little bit what it looks like when we choose to just, just ignore Jesus and ignore our head and do whatever we want. A lot of times what we do is we just want to do things what we want to do rather than what our head wants. And, and what's concerning to me is that we, the church, when we try to do things our way, we are ignoring the head. And we're doing it without him. Now let me ask you a question. How well is the body able to perform if the head has been removed? I mean, chickens go for a little while, but it's not pretty. But that's what it can happen when we just ignore Christ and we're like, yeah, if I don't need you, head, I'm going to do it my own. It creates a mess. Guys, we must submit to the head, and that is Christ. We are to carry on what he began long ago. So Christ is the head. What else does it say? It says that he's the beginning of the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it has somewhat of a double meaning. Sure, it can mean that he's the first in the sense of time, like, you know, A is the first of the alphabet, first letter of the alphabet, and Jesus even says that in Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, the be you know, so that is true. But I think by Christ being the beginning, I think it also means that everything is sourced from him. If he's the head, everything starts with the head. The moving power which sets things into motion is Christ. We move and have our being in him. He's the initiator. So Christ is the source of the church's life, being that he, he directs it, okay? He's the head. So that's what it means when it says Jesus is the beginning. Now it goes on to say he is the firstborn from the dead. Now this truth right here should cause us to stand up and cheer. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. Once again, this is a title of honor, a title only given to Jesus because he's the only one to raise from the dead by his own power. And Paul is reminding them of this event that's the center of all of their thinking and of all of their belief, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, guys, Christ isn't just someone who lived and died, and then we read about and learn about him from history books like George Washington or something like that. Not even close. No, he is someone who, because of his resurrection, he is alive forevermore, and because he's alive forevermore, we can meet with him, we can experience him, we can do life with him. Guys, the only reason why the church is alive and thriving is because Jesus is alive and thriving. If the head were dead, we would be dead. But he isn't. Jesus is not some dead founder of some great movement or organization. You know how it is when you go into some organization or some mission and you go into the headquarters and you're walking, you know, in the, the lobby and there's this big, usually big black and white picture of some guy. And he's standing and you're looking like, who's that? And I said, well, that's the, the founder of this organization. You're like, wow, can I talk to him? No, he's dead. You're like, oh, okay. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not some dead founder. 
Nor is Jesus, you know, sometimes we, if, if a loved one of ours die, we'll like get a little necklace and we'll have a picture that hang around our neck and we'll always say things like, uh, I, just, I just keep him right here. He's real close to me. Just, I always have him right here. No, you don't. He's dead. You can't keep him right here. But I'll tell you this. You do have Jesus right here. He's with you and he's never gonna leave you. You wanna know why? Because he's not dead. He's a living presence in your life because he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, because of that, that means that Jesus, look at this verse, is preeminent. Do you know what preeminent means? It means that he surpasses all others. He is top dog. It means he has all authority in heaven and on earth. On earth. Nothing or no one can oppose him. Because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ carries the title of supreme lordship. He's Lord of lords and he's Lord of all. By his resurrection, he's shown that he has conquered every opposing power and that there's nothing in life or even in death which can bind him. Now, I want you just to pause there for a second and let that soak in. Marinate yourself in that a little bit because that, guys, is our Lord. That's our Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how grateful I am that I worship and follow a Lord like that, a Jesus like that, because there isn't anyone greater than him in the universe. You know, when I was a kid, my dad, I, I held him in high such regard. He was the toughest, baddest, strongest dude in my life. I mean, none of my other friends' dad could beat up my dad. I just, I really believe that. I remember one time I was sitting with my friend, and I got into a fist fight with him because he actually thought that his dad could beat up my dad. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? He's like, dude, my dad could totally whip him. I'm like, dude, you know, I started beating him up on, on a little gravel. I'm like, nobody talks like that around me or around my dad. My dad will whoop up your dad. Well, whether my dad could whoop up everybody's dad or not is a matter of opinion, and people could argue that. But the reality is, guys, no one can argue that Jesus Christ is the biggest, the strongest, the toughest guy around. No one can. Jesus is preeminent. Amen? That's our Lord. All right, we've seen what Jesus is to himself. We've seen what Jesus is to creation. We've seen what Jesus is to the church. Let's look at the last two verses, and let's see what Jesus is to all things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I feel like all these verses could be literally an entire sermon, so bear with me that I have to be so brief in all this. But very quickly, we need to see that all the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. Okay? All of it. How much of it? All of it. I'll say it again. How much does that leave out? All right. Now, that word dwell in the Greek means a permanent dwelling. It's not a temporary dwelling. That's a whole different word in Greek. It's, that word wasn't used. It's a permanent dwelling. The fullness of God is in Christ always. There is never a time where it isn't. Jesus is God. Jesus was not some half God. He was not some demigod. He was all God in the flesh. All the fullness of God dwelled in him. Now, we have to be careful here that we never forget that because a lot of times we can, we can start elevating things in our life. Guys, the fullness of God is not in some church. It's not in some priesthood. It's not in some building. It's not even in some sacrament. 
It's not even in the old saint. It's not in some method or some program that we might develop. It is in Jesus Christ himself. It is in him. And we make our mistakes when we try to elevate any of those beyond what they are. The fullness is in Jesus. Now, do you see that in this verse here? What is the purpose of his coming? The purpose was reconciliation. Does everyone know what reconciliation means? It means the bringing together of two separated things. And that's what Jesus did. He came to heal the breach between God and man. He came to bridge that, in a sense, that that gap or that chasm between God and man. Jesus was the conduit for this reconciliation. But listen to me here. The initiative of this reconciliation was with God the Father. Okay, and that's an important thing to consider. The New Testament never talks of God being reconciled to man. It always talks about man being reconciled to God, and there's a difference with that. God's attitude towards man was always love, and it was never anything else. Sometimes you will hear people preach something to the fact that, you know, what Jesus did here on the earth um, was kind of change God's attitude from wrath and anger to love, kind of like God's like the fathers of like, oh, I hate these men, I want to wipe out mankind, I'm going to destroy them, I can't stand them. And Jesus is like, hold on, God, you know, I'm going to go on the cross, I'll do my thing. And then like, God's like, oh, okay, now I love them, now I love them. No, it's not like that at all. It's not true. It was God who began this whole process of salvation. In John 3, 16, it tells us that God so loved who? The world. That he sent his son. His one object in sending his son into this world was to draw mankind back to himself. And as Paul puts it, to reconcile all things to himself. Now, how did this reconciliation come about? It came about through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. The reconciliation was the death of Jesus. So what does Paul mean? He means this. I want you to see this. In the death of Jesus, God is saying, I love you like that. I love you enough to see my son suffer and die for you. The cross is proved that there is no length to which the love of God will refuse to go in order to win the hearts of men. And because God loves us like that, guess what? We're able to love him back. We love because God first loved us. Amen? Amen. Now look at that verse again. Jesus came to reconcile how many things? All things, whether in heaven or on earth. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I don't entirely, I'm not sure what all this means. There is a whole lot to this I don't understand. And the things I read, I couldn't fully grasp. I didn't, they didn't make sense to me, so I'm not able to communicate. But the main thing I want to say is the point is that the reconciliation of God extends not only to every person, but also to all creation, animate or inanimate. The vision of Paul was a universe in which not only the people but the very things were redeemed. This is an amazing thought to me. Like I said, honestly, I don't even fully grasp what it means. I really don't. But however this goes down, this much is certain, God's aim was to reconcile men to himself in Jesus Christ, and the way he did that was through Jesus' death, which proved that there's no limits to God's love. 
No limits to God's love whatsoever. And whether we fully understand it or not, that reconciliation extends to the whole universe, earth and heaven alike. And Jesus is the one who made that possible, proving the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Jesus we follow. And I'll tell you, we need to soak these words up. We need to marinate ourselves in this passage that talks about our Jesus and talks about our Lord, this Lord who is alive and does life with us. So I'd encourage you to do that, and we're gonna start right now. As you remember, we, we take some time to just read the Word of God and to hear it just being read over us. And so I'd encourage you, I know you come in through these doors with a lot of worries and concerns and things that you're carrying. I want you to set those aside. I want you just to practice the presence of Jesus. I want you to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit and just give space to the Holy Spirit and let him use the word of God to speak to you. And just let him minister, you, minister to you right now, whether it be with a phrase, a word, or just a verse, whatever. Just sit with him. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and all understanding. Wisdom and understanding that only the Spirit gives. And why do we pray this? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So that you will please him in every way. So that you can bear fruit in every good work. So that you can grow in the knowledge of God. We pray that you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and great patience. We pray that you would give joyful thanks to the Father. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. The Father who rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We pray that you would give joyful thanks to the Father who orchestrated your redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things that are visible and things that are invisible, 
whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head, the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And he did this by making peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for this incredible truth that we get to just soak ourselves in. Jesus, we declare that you are preeminent this morning, that you are the beginning, that you are the creator, that all things hold together in you. We declare that you are alive, and that you do life with us. We're thankful that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Father, thank you that it was your love that initiated all of this. Thank you for such an incredible, exquisite kind of love. We're thankful that because you loved us, we can love you. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we leave these doors today that the reality and truths of Jesus, may they be always present on our mind. May we never forget that Jesus is Lord of Lords and Lord of all. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Guys, I love you very, very much. Have an amazing week. If anybody would like to be prayed for, please come up to the corners, and these dear people would love to do that. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. We'll see you next Sunday.